Hello and welcome to Cinema to the Letter. This episode, it's that indie known as Phantasm. On Cinema to the Letter, we break down the very nature of cinema, letter by letter. For each episode of a film miniseries topic, we cover six films that fit either C for classic, I for indie, N for new, E for egregious, M for masterpiece, or A for atypical. Who doesn't love an acronym, am I right? I am Thomas, and the funeral is about to begin, sir, or ma'am, or those of non-binary identifications. (laughs) Uh, hi, I'm Brian, and, uh, I've come to get you, boy! I can't do, I can't do, I can't do it. It's hard. It's hard. It's really hard. Yeah, he's so good at it. (laughs) Uh, but we're not the only ones here, Brian, because coming through a dimensional portal, a voice you might have heard if you listen to the old Double-Edged Double Bill show that used to be on this feed, he was, uh, the co-host of that former show, and he is a true tall man in his own right, my boy! Adam Thomas, Adam, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, man. Uh, so, are all ice cream men just perverts? Is that what we're gonna get? It's like that's what we're getting at here. Like, I mean, like there's there's him. There's Clint Howard from Ice Cream yeah. Man, the amazing '90s slasher movie. That's a real movie. Yeah, the Spawn villain, like Billy Kincaid. <laughs> I think they're all perverts and just horrible people. Sorry if I offended some of your core audience. <laughs> um, maybe, perhaps. Uh, but, I mean, you know, Reggie, I would argue, is the least offender of, I would say, that mix. <laughs> well, yeah. that mix, yeah. Yes, of yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> but he's still not great. Uh, if you've watched any of the sequels, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it here. But, yes, everybody, we're here uh, for our second episode of our spooky horror miniseries, which is our Eye for Indie. And we're doing the original Phantasm, uh, released in 1979, March 28th. 1979, and Adam, after our show collapsed in on itself, and uh, I, you know, said, like, the second season we're doing horror, and you're the first person I asked to be a guest, we're having hopefully a couple other guests besides Adam uh, later in the season, but uh, you immediately latched on to Phantasm, and uh, what what drew you to Phantasm originally? What's your history with Don Coscarelli's Phantasm and its sequels and whatnot? Uh, Well, one of the main reasons is, uh, as you know, like I said, we do our old show together and we always did a big thing for spooky season but even before that i was guesting on a you know various horror themed uh podcasts still do from time to time and i've thought about it i've never gotten the chance to talk about phantasm like ever it's never come up and don coscarelli even i can't think of one coscarelli movie i've talked about i mean there's a bunch out there bell Bahota, john dies at the end beastmaster all those movies, and I've never had the chance to talk Coscarelli or The Tall Man or Phantasm or Reggie or Michael or Jody. Or, I never got the chance, so that's when it, I saw it. I was like, oh, okay, at least it's something different. For me. Anyways. Right. 
I don't really give a fuck about anybody. <laughs> you can see why the, the show dissolved previously. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I definitely was glad that you decided to come on for this, because especially Phantasm feels like it is kind of like, it was a horror franchise that we'll get into my history a bit later, but like I was aware of the iconography of like the tall man and some of this other stuff. But like, it's definitely, I would argue, a second tier of the franchise is from like this time period because around the same time as like Evil Dead, which I would argue is a higher yeah. echelon of the similar thing, and also like the other slashers and stuff. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I, I think, and I didn't find Phantasm really early either. I uh, was really into the, and still into like weird Italian horror and things like that. Right. And Phantasm is very much to me an American version of that. Like it is just yeah. so bizarre and weird. And I just, I can't, I, I mean, I don't know how the hell we're going to talk about the plot because it is so crazy and all over the place. I know, it's pretty straightforward. It's, it's very much, you know, a three act structure, beginning, middle, end totally makes sense. <laughs> and especially as the series goes forward, it, it just makes so all much right. sense. For sure. Yeah. And it definitely fits yeah. like Save the Cat. If you want to study how to like write the most basic screenplay, this is so the movie to watch <laughs> yep. for sure. Um, but yeah, and I know Brian, this is another, like last episode we talked about Black Sabbath, speaking of Italian horror and like Black Sabbath and a lot of movies for this particular series, uh, you have not seen it before, uh, you know, the auspice of it being the subject of this episode. You'd never seen any phantasm and we really weren't aware of it. Right. Yeah, not really. I had seen much of the, like I had seen the tall man, just kind of pictures of him. I had seen like the, the, the metal ball thing. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't know what the plot of it was. You had told me like a few things and you had kind of, uh, told me about what kind of what it was about, not too much. And yeah, it, it, they've always been kind of the weirder side of these, the horror movies around this time, because I, I was never really into these movies and, I was only able to see the first one, unfortunately, but it is so bizarre. And especially for for when this is coming out, it is such a, it's just so wild. I, I enjoyed it a lot, I will say. Right, so we might as well just jump into it. We're going to play the trailer here for Phantasm. Phantasm. Is it a nightmare? Is it an illusion? Is it an evil? Is it a fantasy? scare you. You're already dead. Phantasm. So yeah, Phantasm, as we mentioned, that came out in 1979 from Don Coscarelli, who we should talk about a bit because this is definitely like the movie that put him on the map, not his first movie. 
because he did a couple of smaller movies prior to this. Adam, I'm curious. So you're more familiar with like stuff post Phantasm, right? Have you seen those earlier two films, the uh, Jimmy, The World's Best, and Kenny and Company? Are you aware of those even? I have, I'm aware of both. Uh, some documentary I watched somewhere. I kind of talked about them, and I have actually seen Kenny and Company. I watched it with like a group of friends or something where we were sort of hunting through just random shit films. And uh, we watched that along with like Bad News Bears Go to Japan. And yeah. I forget the other one. And it, it's, it fits right in with there. It, it's nothing notable, nothing good. Uh, well, I'll say I did watch both the prior movies. Big shocker. You went through and watched <laughs> absolutely everything that relates to the subject material. You've never done that before. Never done it. No, this is a new thing with the new show. I'm a changed man. <laughs> so, <Wow>. anyways, uh, <laughs> uh, but but yeah, uh, I I watched those two, and I would agree with you more with the first one. I would say it's more like what you're describing, Kenny and Company, as the Jim, the world's greatest. It's very much like it's a melodrama movie that's about like a teenager is kind of looking after his younger brother because they're drunk, abusive dad who's played by Angus Scrim, the tall man, which if that's your drunk and abusive dad, that's like another layer. Like, oh, it's already awful. And it's like, oh, it's this tall, intimidating The most terrifying dude. man in the world. <laughs> <laughs> the most terrifying six foot four man possible. Um, and yeah, so that one's a bit more melodramatic and after school especially. But I kind of liked Kenny and Company. That one's a bit more of like a coming of age dramedy. And I kind of like it's It's dealing with a lot of the same themes that are familiar to Phantasm particularly about, like, a young kid kind of experiencing death for the first time and working through those emotions about it. I think it's not great, but I think it's, like, a solid stepping stone to Phantasm. Especially, it takes place around Halloween, and there's, like, a spooky haunted house sequence uh, that I think is pretty fun. So, if nothing else, you can tell even then, like, he made those movies, the first one, when he was, like, 18. And he managed to sell it to Universal and get a distribution deal. So, he was already kind of working with, like, in this indie scene, which... A main thing we wanted to talk about with, like, making this our indie is just the fact that, like, we could have done with, like, so many movies from, like, the 90s forward, like, indie horror movies. Dime a dozen. Right. This period, not really. It's so much harder to make a movie in, like, 1979 for $300,000, This is the case with Phantasm. Yeah, I mean, because I would even make the argument that horror today wouldn't exist without independent horror. I mean, independent horror is what makes the money now. I mean, look at A24, look at Blumhouse, look at all that. I mean, those are technically independent films, um, at least as far as budget and things like that. And then there's a lot of darlings. But yeah, back then, I mean, 80s, like late 80s, you really started getting them too with sort of the slasher yeah. movement and things like that. Especially on home video, you got a lot of those released. Like as opposed to here, home video is in its infancy. Yeah, yeah, no, you didn't. It really didn't exist yeah. as far as like, real true like independent film that gained any sort of traction i mean i i would argue this and maybe like texas chainsaw of course but right other than that like yeah it didn't really happen yeah so with like coscarelli i'm curious because you've seen a lot of his movies what do you think separates him from the other horror uh kind of directors that are like a bit more indie i think the thing with coscarelli which i, I appreciate uh, but I think it might be also what stopped him from joining the upper echelon, I guess you could say, or at least having the fame and renown or the sort of, you know, the Wes Craven-esque of it all is Coscarelli has really bold, crazy ideas. Yeah. 
Um, and he is absolutely 100% committed to trying to get as much of his idea on screen. Um, I don't see a lot of compromise in Coscarelli. As far as this is the movie I want to make, I'm going to try to make it. I mean, as far as like, like even with like Beastmaster, he basically was halfway fired, halfway walked off set because they wouldn't go as weird as he wanted to go. You know, he's really committed to making these really crazy psychedelic cerebral horror movies. And uh, I think that's his bread and butter. And he doesn't really want to branch away from that. Like even Bubba Hotep is really fucking weird. Like it's great. I'd say it's probably his easiest to follow plot wise. The plot makes no sense, but it's his easiest to follow. But then you watch like John dies at the end, which makes no sense or any of the other phantasm movies, which make fucking even less sense than this one. Uh, It's just, I think that's sort of what separates him, but also has hindered him. And uh, Brian, based on just seeing phantasm, do you get any sense of that? What I'm talking about? Yeah. I mean, like the, the choices that this movie phantasm that it makes are so weird and like it it, you know for a movie that is kind of coming out of this you know early you know 70s 80s horror it it, it is such an outlier where you look at the stuff you know something like halloween and it's pretty simple for the most part it's a killer is after some high school students you know or even like texas chainsaw like you know like you mentioned adam is is also kind of simple of like there's a killer and it's very relatively straightforward but this is so weird from like the the music choice to like the the vibe that this movie has the the sort of weird kind of droning yeah it it makes sense that he never kind of broke out in the way that like a a Sam Raimi or a, a John Carpenter did and also he made he made what four of these movies of the Phantasm yes, movies? Yes, four of the five total Phantasm. Even though he's right. like a writer producer on Ravager, the last one, but he directed the other four. Right. Yeah. And so it's like, yeah, it, he's he seems like a weird guy just based on this one movie. I, I'd be very interested as someone who, you know, has not seen any of his other movies. I'd be so curious to watch some of them, um, especially based on what you guys are talking about in the annals of horror franchises. Uh, for him to do four of them, I think he's literally only rivaled by, like, I think Romero's the only one that's beat him as far as directing consecutive films in the horror franchise. Uh, didn't uh, Wes Craven tied with him then for Scream, right? He did four of the, the six. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so it's, yeah, it's Coscarelli, Craven, and I think Romero's in the, the front because he did six or five. Right. Right. He did five or six? No, he did six. six. He did six of them, yeah. Yeah. Well, he did three. (laughs) (laughs) No, what are you talking about? (laughs) Everyone loves Diary of the Dead. Um, But um, I I think another thing with Coscarelli that, like, I don't think separates him, because this is the thing, I think, with Sam Raimi and some of the other people who started in an indie circuit. um, His movies are very much family productions. Because, like, the big thing with Phantasm is that it's financed by his dad, Dak Coscarelli, and his mother, Kate, um, did, like, a lot of the, like, the makeup and the special effects she was involved heavily in. So, there's that. And then, like, all the cast members who appear in most of these movies come back, you know, for, like, the sequels and some of the other costumes. Like, Reggie Bannister's in every one of his movies and shit like that. There's a, a real true, like, kind of, like, family camaraderie thing that's there with, like, a bit with, like, Sam Raimi has Ted and a couple of the people, like Bruce and other people who have, like, been doing movies with him for so long. But he got so much bigger as opposed to he wanted to kind of keep a tight-knit thing. 
which is why the only two sort of studio movies he did are Beastmaster and then uh, Phantasm 2, right? Pretty much? Yes. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Not not Survival Quest, which I also saw, a movie that does not exist, <laughs> but is so interesting. If you don't know, this is a movie he made that's like, it came out around the same time as Phantasm 2. It's about a survivalist group led by Lance Henriksen um, and features amongst the uh, campers uh, young Dermot Mulroney and young Catherine Keener. <laughs> Yep, it's such I, a weird. I don't know movie. that I've ever seen it, but I have seen the trailers for that movie. Yeah, I don't know yeah. that I've actually seen it though. I mean, it's definitely that's another one that shocked. It's on YouTube. That's how I watched it. Oh, big shocker! Yeah, <laughs> right. Of course, yes. Um, but but yeah, and I think that also kind of comes across like Brian. I can't emphasize enough. I watched uh, like a lot of interviews with Coscarelli, particularly the documentary Phantasmagoria which uh, came out around 2005 and goes through the first four movies. Um, he's such like a sweet Southern California guy. Really? It's like he was, he came, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's very just like, he, he's the son of like his two parents are like Italian immigrants. And he was like very, he's Hell very yeah. much apparently like a lot of like the Michael character kind of relates to, um, you know, mm-hmm. the, the Coscarelli guy, the um, a Michael Baldwin's character. He's got um, a really yeah. soft, like, sort of tone to his voice. Yes. Uh, he's really sweet. Like, I remember, I think I watched the same one, and he was talking about putting his mom and dad sort of to work. He's <laughs> like, I just wanted them to be proud of me, you know, and I just thought that. I'm like, this fucking guy, this is the sweetest thing. Well, especially, like, his great joke also in the documentary talks about, like, my dad was really involved with the production because he wanted to make sure he would make his money back for the movie. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a classic sort of like, you know, like, you know, not to go on another franchise, but when Robert England talked about when he was first going to go meet Wes, Cra- Wes Craven, he expected, you know, the Prince of Darkness to be sitting in this room when he walks in, there's, you know, preppy Ralph Lauren wearing Eriodite Wes Craven. Like, it's these guys who are like... Former college professor, Wes Craven. Yeah, these guys who are like the sort of most well-balanced and stuff are able to just go into the darkest sort of parts of their minds healthily. The rest of us are fucked up. Right, of course, yeah. As you could never tell from this show. This is a college teaching class. (laughs) Uh, Adam is pulling up his textbook and not a beer. Yep. (laughs) That's exactly. (laughs) Turn to page 38. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But but yeah, so um, I'm curious. So, Brian, you said you had no idea, no context. Literally no idea at all. Without any of that knowledge in starting this movie, what was your journey with seeing Phantasm for the first time? (laughs) It's such a weird movie, and it doesn't really... It's a kind of movie that doesn't... It feels like it never settles into, like, a comfortable groove. Like, it's always just kind of, Mm -hmm. like, you know... I mean, the beginning of this is so so shocking, which is the... If I remember correctly, the opening is two people having sex and the yes. woman stabs him with the, the knife in like a, a cemetery and nothing in this movie is, is, is giving you that sort of comfort of like, okay, I know where we are. I know what we're kind of doing. It is just throwing all of these ideas at you and with no real context. I mean, maybe you guys can give me some more kind of no. info on this, but what, what the <laughs> fuck is the ball? Like what, what the fuck is it's just a spiky ball. It's just well, the ball. In the later movies, it's sort of revealed that a lot of the victims and bodies, he puts their brains in the balls. 
Yes. And sort of they become his slaves. Um, (laughs) And that's how Jody appears in the later films as well. Yeah. And Michael's also turning into one. Like, it's very bizarre. Right. Um, (laughs) But let's not forget this sex scene in the beginning. The woman stabs the man with the great mustache, by the way. A lot of good facial hair in this movie. Yeah, Tommy is the character. R.I.P. R.I.P. Tommy. You were a real one. And then... (laughs) And then turns in she turns into the tall man. Yes. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it just starts you off on this like you're already you're already just confused and disoriented as to like what is what is this? What's happening? And yeah, and the whole movie is like that and the the music is so which is my favorite part of this movie is the music. Hell, it absolutely rules. Shout out to uh, Fred Myron and Malcolm Seagrave, who are credited as yes. composers. Amazing. You can't tell me Goblin didn't hear this score and Argento oh, yeah. didn't hear this score before they did like Suspiria and things like that. Well, no, they would have had to hear it after, because that's like 77. Oh, oh, yeah, no, that's I true. Think... So you, you can't oh, tell right, me yeah. these fuckers didn't hear that score. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, and also, like, ev- like, weirdly, it sounds a lot like if you listen to the main theme... It does kind of sound like any sort of, um, like, it's very synthy. It's very, like, sort of almost prog rockish, which is what I've heard a lot of people sort of identify Phantasm as. It's like the prog rock of horror movies, and I think that's very apt. That's accurate. I, yeah, I like that. I think that's a very, yeah, apt description. Yeah, and, and not even just the music, though. Just the, 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 like, oppressive kind of nature and, like, tone of the movie is, yeah, feels very psychedelic almost and gives you that sort of prog rock kind of yeah it's it's so unique in that way though i will say what i identified especially this time watching phantasm was i think there is a base that's sort of there for the reality but when you like really examine it it's such a sad base to have your horror movie on where it's like all right our setup is we've got little mikey played by a michael baldwin who's this young man who is spying on a funeral that's going on for his brother Jody, played by Bill Thorberry, uh, his friend Tommy, who died in the opening scene, allegedly from suicide. Um, and Reggie Bannister is also there playing Reggie, very clever naming for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, from like they're at this funeral, and while they're there, they're right by this like you know the mortician's house where is like like the um, all the graves are nearby. Who is the tall man? Played by Angus Scrimm, the late, great, a true horror icon, Angus Scrimm. I and, and I want to hear immediately after this, uh, Brian, Angus Scrimm first impressions. You got to like, what He's... What was it like experiencing <laughs> him for the first time? <laughs> yeah, he makes such an impression, like, immediately, because he's so, obviously, he's... He, he's he's tall. He's pretty tall. But oh, also, he? yeah. Is, they should have indicated that with his name, maybe, <laughs> that he might have been a tall person. Yeah, but um, but even just the way he looks, like his face, like, you know, uh, you know, he's great. But, like, he is one of those actors, I feel like, kind of like Robert Englund or, you know, one of those guys who just, like, you look at him and you're like, this guy looks like they should be in a horror movie, right? Like, they look yeah. a bit menacing, they look like they could, you know, kill me right now. You know, it's and and even but but the the tall man as like a character is so interesting because again, like everything else in this movie, like I said, there is not really a lot of context for him, right? Like Michael Myers has context, and like uh, 
Freddy has context of like, you know, their history and everything. And this he's just, yeah, he works at the, at the, the mortician place and he's just creepy. And it, and that's enough to sort of unsettle you, but also get you really hooked into this. Who the fuck is this guy? Like it, it's so weird. It, yeah. But I believe the kids are calling it a morgue. These a morgue. Right. Yeah. I that's what, that's think what they call a mortician's <laughs> place. I believe. <laughs> But you know, Adam. I mean, what was what was your first experience in terms of specifically Scrim? Like, do you remember the first time you watched this movie and were like, "Oh my god, this guy freaks me the fuck out." Yeah, for sure. There's two scenes in particular that always stuck with me and still do. And also, before I even get to those, just another thing Angus Scrim was able to do just the control of his face. Yes, that he had with the eyebrows, the eyes, the jaw, the jutting, the lower jaw out, things like that. I mean, he was just so good at it but uh there's two scenes one is him walking down the street hell yeah when michael sees him from across the street and just how it slows down the music and just how big and thunderous his steps are but then of course the dream sequence where he's above michael's bed yes Hmm. michael's sleeping in the cemetery and he's above the bed with his hands on a bedpost it's absolutely terrifying you know for the thing is his catchphrase as a character is one word and yeah. it works. As soon as somebody does it in any horror convention, anytime you talk about horror movies, all it takes is someone to go, boy. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, the tall man. Fuck yeah. <laughs> like, you know exactly what it is. No, he's he's one of those things, you know, and I, I just watched, and I, I hate that I've done it, but I've watched a bunch of those, like, new stupid tier lists that have come out. <laughs> and there's one guy I, I, I'm a, in particular that I watched, and uh, he was talking about the tall man. He's like, look, he's like, I understand, you know, he's not as recognizable as Freddy and Jason, all that. But he's like, if you watch the Phantasm movies, he's absolutely the star of the show. I mean, he truly, he is the most terrifying thing and he should be so much more iconic than even he is. And I absolutely agree with that. I think, uh, Angus Scrimm's the tall man, which I think they kind of fucked up in, I think it's four and giving him a backstory. Yeah. Uh, like, I don't need this. No, I don't didn't need Though this. I mean it is it is uh, interesting. In- I wanna I wanna share this with Brian. Brian, in Phantasm Four Oblivion, there is a point where like Michael is seeing visions of like Civil War era and it's Angus Scrim just like on a porch with like, Oh, would you like some lemonade? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Please don't go, you're the first one that's come through. <laughs> you're like, Oh no, don't no. <laughs> but um he he was absolutely terrifying, and I know he did other things. Obviously, I if you ask me, another movie I've seen Angus Scrim in, I, it's probably a Don Coscarelli movie because he's in Bubba Hotep briefly, and John dies at the end. Yeah, if it's going to be, yeah. But Arnett, I mean, it's one of those performances, one of those characters, which you know, even if he did a million other things, it would still be the most iconic thing he ever did. Yeah. It's just such that great of a performance. And he's probably the most consistent thing about all the way to five, where five was obviously, I believe his last movie, if not one of them, he's, it's, it, it I mean, I could have finished five. Yeah. <laughs> I had to stop it. I mean, you know, we're going to talk about the sequels and whatnot later, but I wanted to, in terms of my first experience with Angus Scrim, it was specifically the scene you were talking about with the, uh, the bed sort of jump scare. But that was because I watched a special. I shared this with you, Adam, but I've not shared this with Brian. Um, the year is 2004. 
Um, and is it the Bravo thing? Yes, it's the Bravo thing. Uh, <laughs> Bravo Channel put out a top 100 scariest horror movie moments list. 101. Oh, that's right. 101. That's true. Yes. Which it's all on YouTube, baby. It's all on YouTube. Also, the various they did a couple spinoffs where it's like even scarier, and some of those other ones that are yeah, fuck no. all those. Uh, but that the 2004 <laughs> special was a very crucial text in me, like at the peak point of my scaredy catness as a child. Sure. Seeing, yeah. yeah, seeing that particular special, being horrified, but also very curious, including by this sequence. So I was like, I don't know, like 10, 12 at this point. And I saw like that ha- that fucking tall man bed sequence with the kids sleeping on the bed and then he just gets dragged apart <laughs> by two little goblin guys that come up. And I was just like, yeah, this is the scariest thing I've ever seen. And then here's a clip from The Wicker Man and then all these other horror movies <laughs> that I later would watch. And yeah, I think that's where, because Phantasm was one I watched in high school, but I didn't watch the sequels until right before five came out. But I just remember Phantasm was definitely like, I more was more drawn, like I said, to Evil Dead. But Phantasm was definitely just like, this is weird and interesting. I'm not going to forget this fucking movie. And I have a, uh, it will stay in your brain like a, a chrome ball. It <laughs> just burrows in <laughs> and drains your blood. And what I would say, like, if I was in a horror movie, it's like, you you can pick your method of death. Particularly, the chrome ball thing is perfect, where it just is thrown over... And then it strikes you in the neck, and you're like, oh, God! and then blood just and the, the drill, like the little drill yes. thing that goes in is... Right, right between the eyes. Right. Yep, I'm taking that. That's If I'm and going out, the, that's the way I want to go. I mean, while we're, while we're on the ball, like, that, sh- that hey. shot of, like, the blood squirting out of, like, the front hole yeah. of the ball is so, like, striking and is such a, like, a... That and the, the sequence you're talking about with the him in the the dream sequence is one of those moments where like it just kind of like hooks you like it just absolutely grabs you um i, I also wanted to mention another scene that of, of angus scrim as the tall man that's really like got me is the scene where i believe it's in the the where you are thomas in that like very creepy oh, yes. my, looking. Zo- my zoom background is the the, the morgue yes uh, where you see the mausoleum the yeah. mausoleum, mausoleum. yes and it's a michael baldwin in the foreground and all the way in the back. Yeah, not the mortician place. No, the mortician, that's true, right? The, the proper term, I'm sorry. And behind him is the tall man, Angus Scrim. Yes, I think the, I think it is this scene where like he they they lock eyes and there's like a a, a long pause and then it, he starts like Michael starts running and it is it's so unsettling. It's so creepy to me. It's one of those things that really gets me in horror movies when there's that sort of pause and then like boom, like the chase. That one, like, that was the moment where I was like, oh, this guy is, like, really terrifying. Like, if I was a child and this man was chasing me down hallways. <laughs> right. It feeds into a very childhood fear, which I think is also, like, what I was kind of talking about earlier in terms of, like, the grounding base. I kind of got interrupted for the Angus Grimm stuff. But the the base is, like, this kid who, like, hey, my parents just died and my brother's technically my legal guardian, but he seems kind of tired and he wants to maybe drop me off at my aunt's. And I feel like so much is changing, and it's hard for me to, like, process that. Um, and then on top of those, like, very relatable things that you and I can agree with, um, a tall guy in platform shoes is trying <laughs> to fucking kill you so that he can, like, make you a part of, like, our little person army. That's just, like, so... It's so wild, and the chrome balls are gonna fucking drain your brain out and shit like that. 
I just love that it has that base that I think anyone can relate to, that kind of sad ennui of, like, late childhood, only for, like, also all the surreal shit's happening. <laughs> it's a real book. Yeah, it's so fascinating that the kind of how it balances those two things of, like, telling this pretty human story that, like, it, it is there. You get, like, you know, the way that characters mention the parents dying and passing. It, it's there. And then you just get, like, I don't know, vampire Jawa-looking things. Like, the, <laughs> you know, whatever those things are. And, like, a thing I do kind of want to uh, bring up, because I keep looking at your, your Zoom background, Thomas, is, like, just the the look of the morgue. The mausoleum, it, it look, yes. Yeah, the mausoleum. It looks so unsettling with like the marble statues it it like it like reminds me i know this came this came afterwards but it reminds me of the the red room from like twin peaks you know oh yeah i mean the red there's a lot of david lynchian vibes with this particular and interesting because it's a contemporary because he'd only put out like a racer head pretty much right yeah i think he's about to make elephant man and yeah just the look of it something about the the way it is kind of like because the town is very much like a normal small town ever, you know, in middle America. No, particularly very Southern California. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so having like the, the, the mausoleum be this very kind of, you know, it's all marble. It's got the, the curtains and everything. It's such a weird kind of contrasting of locations, I think. And I mean, that's even the case with like the, the other scene that Adam talked about with um, there's a point where a Michael Baldwin after like the initial scary stuff happens with the tall man uh, right after the funeral, um, he sees the tall man walking down his fucking platform shoes, which I love that they just show up like, yeah, we have him in platform shoes, even though Angus Grimm is like 6'4 at this point before he gets older. He, he has a great... Brian, I would definitely recommend watch Angus Grimm interviews. He is such okay. a sweetheart of a man based on these interviews. <laughs> really? He's like so yep. sincere, especially as he yep. gets older, he's almost like a sweet grandpa. And I was genuinely bummed when he passed away because he just felt like Adam mentioned all those things along with the fact that everything I heard, like, just a sweetheart, the grandpa of that family, the reason I hope there's no other Phantasm movies because I don't think you can do one without Scrim or maybe Coscarelli. Just it really depends on who's involved. Yeah, I agree. I I don't think it should be done. Um, I don't know that, you know, but then... You would say, oh, I don't know that there's as much sort of fandom behind it as some of the other things remake. They've remade fucking everything. <laughs> I mean, they remade April Fool's Day. They've remade, you know, House on Sorority Row. So who's to say? I, I, I kind of hope not, but... Mm, I mean, you did try would, to... Would you be shocked? You messaged me at some point, though, that you did kind of say, like, if it were to happen, you had a person. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah. If it were to happen, the, the one I chose, I, I said, if it were to happen, I think you would really be sort of interesting as a tall man. I said, Michael Shannon. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. It's I <laughs> think he'd work. <laughs> um, and the one that I said in response was like, I like that idea. I do. But the one I said was just like, put fucking Gwendolyn Christie in a suit. I think that'd be really fucking cool, too. I think she'd genuinely be able to do that, especially kind of handling some of the things we mentioned about, like, sort of the gender fluidity, as it were, of the character. I think she would do a great job with that. Or cast them both and then do the gender fluidity. Well, that's true. You know, do they are roles. both, according to Google, they are both exactly six foot three. So, yeah, they I are mean, tall. If there you go. Yeah. But, but I'm curious, Brian, 
who would you pick if not those two? Or like, do you have oh, a, a third, if possible? Uh, you know, I'm gonna be honest. Michael Shannon is a really good pick. I might have to co-sign on that because, like, he's got like a similar kind of. I love Michael Shannon. Like I, I mean, I mean, I mean this in the best in the best way. But he has that vibe where you're like, he looks a little creepy. He looks like he could like, you know, there there's a reason why he's played like so many like, you know, shitty like southern like redneck kind of guys. You know, yeah, yeah. He looks silently unhinged. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I, I mean, feel or like even he... whenever he's talking about something as simple as like the sorority video, the great video of him reading a sorority letter <laughs> where he's managing to be that upsetting about something that simple. He can do it with pretty much anything. And he's got, he's got that sort of command over his like face, I think as well that you were yeah. talking about earlier with, with Inga Scrim. Like, yes. Yeah. But yeah. So I guess we should talk about some of the other people besides Angus. Uh, Cause we've got, you know, we mentioned a Michael Baldwin a couple times. Uh, he's really only done these movies, but, and like the other Kyle Skrilling movie I mentioned, from when he was younger, he was like the best friend in Kenny and Company, but uh, he's he feels definitely like a kid in this movie. I think it works incredibly well. It feels very authentic. I don't think he aged into being a great actor in the sequels because he wasn't in two famously with James LaGrosse in two, right? Um, and then he was in the other ones afterwards. <laughs> yeah, I think he's his best work is in this one. You know, obviously, as the character, I think he really works. Think about Mike in this movie. Like, yeah, he's this paranoid kid that nobody believes. Jody doesn't believe it, but he does like badass shit. Like yes. he's driving yeah. this fucking muscle car. He's shooting shotguns and shooting the windows out of the hearse and jumping out the window. It's a, like, he's a tough little kid, man. He's fully capable. And then when you get to three and four, uh, it, it just doesn't translate at all. It doesn't work. Like, I'm not saying James LaGrosse was great. Great. I, I thought he was pretty good though. Like LaGrosse did a fine job. He's fine in that movie. Yeah. Um, He's fine. He's fine. He's not great, but he's fine. I think he's better than the returning A. Michael Baldwin in 3 and 4, though. I mean, I think it depends on, like, because 3, I think it's great because he's not in the movie that much. He's at the opening and the close, which I think is a help, quite frankly. Uh, Because then in 4, he's much more sort of front and center. I mean, I do like at least his stuff in 4 leads to the deleted scenes from this movie show up. Which are cool. Yes. Are worth watching the movie. Yeah, I agree. Like half the runtime is unused footage. The hanging movie. scene alone is like... Yes, which explains to everybody what that is if they don't know, Adam. They use the car and they hang the tall man from a tree. And they leave him overnight and he's still alive. He's still talking to Joe or Michael through his dreams and stuff like that. And they go back and he's gone. That's basically what it is. But it's pretty fucking like gnarly. It's a, like it's a practical effect. But yeah. It looks like they're hanging a man. Angus like, Angus was like on like a rod of some sort that was on the back. Yeah, it's fucking gnarly, man. Yeah. But yeah, you never get to see it. And that's the one thing four really did do well. Instead of recycling a lot of the shit you've already seen. Like we've all seen those sort of movies or you know, sequels where it's just half of it are flashbacks from shit you already know. Yeah, a clip show installment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. basically. And four is that, but it's mostly deleted scenes or re-edited or, or different versions of scenes you've already seen in the first one. So it gives it this a little bit more of an ethereal feel like, oh, this is familiar, but I don't remember seeing this or seeing this like this. It's really bizarre. And then, but I think at least with a Michael Baldwin, he fits that sort of family thing I was talking about earlier, even in the yeah. sequels that he's like, these movies kind of feel like family reunions, for a lot of the people involved, given what I was mentioning I about Coscarelli. And, you know, 
you got Reggie Bannister, the actor, who feels like the best fun uncle. He's such a weirdo as sort of like his personality that he presents, especially to a Michael Baldwin. He's genuinely like at at times he's there like silly and cutting up with him or the fucking scene with him and Jody playing guitar outside the porch. Love it. Love it. Classic. Like and dudes hanging out. It's just two guys being dudes. <laughs> Drinking dosa keys. And yep. Which I also, what I love is that that song's written by uh, Billy Thorbury. And the whole thing was that apparently, like, this movie, because we mentioned the thing with Phantasm Four, they shot so much footage for this movie. And there's like another hour and a half of stuff that Don Coscarelli has released either in Phantasm Four. Or, like, at certain bits and pieces. But it, it was a lot of, like, apparently Reggie Bannister, who is a, the ice cream man. He has this ice cream shop, which you see briefly in that scene where the tall man's walking. Um, and inside, we never go inside. But there was apparently, like, a lot of footage of him performing his songs, because he was also a musician. And so it was just like, oh, hey, I'll give Bill his time here. But I got, like, three songs in the movie. Not in the movie at all. <laughs> Uh, but how did you feel about Reggie, Brian? Yeah, he, he very much, like you said, is like the fun uncle where like, I love the scene where um, it's where they find the bug. Yeah, like if, yeah. my, my mem- if my memory is hazy of this movie, it's just because of just the, the rhythms of it and everything. Like, but um, It's a fever dream put on it, screen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, but it's the scene where they find the bug and he just shows up and he's like, hey, what's going on here? Like he just shows up, <laughs> um, yeah, he's great, and I just I do love his little like his little fake death, and then he comes back, and they're like, "You're not dead," and I was like, "Oh, you know." It even got me where I was like, "Oh yeah, it's a good thing Reggie's alive." Like I kind of I would have been upset <laughs> if he died, especially the way that you know the tall man like stabs him. It's so like violent and yeah, yeah. But and messes up Reggie. his amazing ice cream man outfit. With the vest <laughs> and everything. It's a genuinely great fit. I'm going to say is. it. It is. <laughs> Bring it back, everybody. Do the Reggie Bannister. <laughs> uh, but how did you feel about him, Adam? Oh, he's fucking great, dude. He's iconic and classic for a reason. I mean, he's in this movie, he's, like you said, sort of the fun, cool uncle. You know, he's here, have a sip of beer, don't tell your <laughs> right. mom. Type yeah, that kind of, I should <laughs> yeah. specify that kind of cool uncle. Yeah, yeah, that uncle. In the later movies, he gets way more sex-obsessed. Yeah. Um, but he also gets that, like, quadruple-barrel double shotgun. Like, it's just... <laughs> but, no, he's fucking great, you know? And he, and he pops up in a lot of stuff, too, man. I mean, the last thing I... Like, actively, like, holy shit, that's Reggie Bannister. Because uh, I, I didn't realize when I first watched it, but watched it a couple years ago. He's the pharmacist in the first Wishmaster movie. Yep. Hold on, pause. Do you know what Wishmaster is? I I feel like I've heard it mentioned in passing, but I have probably no by idea. me talking to you. Well, get ready because you better fucking watch it. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it, Wishmaster is great. The yes. first one, the rest are. Eh. I saw the poster for Wishmaster. This thing is. I already yeah, want to watch this. It's rules. It's better. <laughs> yeah, you gotta watch it. But yeah, I mean, he's also in like what was it, uh, Silent Night Deadly Night Four, um, the uh, yeah. in Bubba Hotep. Yeah. Um, just in like, he, he's definitely one of those yep. guys who like shows up in random, very B level horror movies at this point. And, and the character is not a character that we should follow for the next three movies, four movies. Uh, it should be just Michael or, you know, whatever, but 
no, we're going to follow Reggie, the ice cream truck driver, who is kind of this weird dude who's ha- letting this kid go out on his ice cream routes with him. Like, why is he? What is the? <laughs> nah, he's just a fucking weird dude, man. And you follow me, and it totally works with the sort of strangeness of this movie and these movies, period. Like, the, Reggie? Really? Reggie is our main guy. He's he's. He's All in right, a similar camp to, like, Ash Williams in terms of, like, this guy's a fucking bubbling buffoon. Why are we following him on this journey? <laughs> he's a moron. Yeah, he is a moron. Like, Reggie is an idiot. Except in terms uh, of getting rid of fucking like, spheres. He manages to get rid of a bunch of them. That's his one skill. He can do that. He can do that and kill, like, zombie little people and zombie cops and shit like that. But, uh... No luck with the ladies, though, Reggie. (laughs) Not for his lack of fucking trying. No, yeah. Jesus. In terms of that sequel stuff, I agree. I think especially two and four. Four, it, like, has nothing to do with anything. But three, I would at least say he has that lecherousness, but he's offset by the underrated queen of 90s horror, as far as I'm concerned. Rocky. So fucking great. Brian, this is the lady who's introduced in three and has nunchucks. Right, yes, he told me about this. <laughs> she nunchucks a sphere out of the fucking sky, man. Yep, she does that. Like she doesn't give a shit. Three, I would say, is my favorite <laughs> of the sequels, Adam, I think at this point. I think it like, fits perfectly in terms of... The, the, the track record is like two is comes out in 88 and it's a big studio universal movie. About big, I mean $3 million. As big as like a budget for a Costarelli <laughs> movie ever got. Um, yeah. But, then three goes straight to video, basically. It was going to go to theaters and they like, dumped it. Yeah. And then four was straight to video. And then five is 2016. Mm. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. it's rough. But no. but yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I definitely agree. I go one, three, two, four, and then probably five. Yeah, no, three is great. But yeah, no, it's just the whole cast in this. Even Jody. And again, Don't talk about how a Michael. A, yeah, talk about Michael Baldwin's best performance was in this one. So was Bill Thornburg's performance. I think way more, quite frankly. Because I I would say Baldwin has a better track record than any time he comes back because he's not in two, because he dies at the end of this movie. Spoilers for this movie from 1974. And uh, he is not in that one, but he shows up in three and then four and five. And um, he seems like a very nice man from the interviews. And everyone is. Oh, I'm sure he's a sweet, sweet man. Yes. He's so wooden in all his other movies, particularly. It's five. really He's bad. So it bad. almost feels like a choice. Yeah, you know, like oh, you're supposed to be a spirit. But the thing is, too, you're not to slight another man on his looks or anything like that. He has aged so noticeably. Yeah, from one to three, and he's not supposed to have aged. Yes, because he dies here, so he should be very right. close to what he was at. Like, how old was he? Like, what twenty? four maybe in this movie at best yeah at best uh, uh doesn't work it, it's like it's like if you had you know made a live action of detroit rock city kiss album when it came out and then filmed it today with gene simmons now <laughs> same guy same guy no but doesn't i mean work. i would argue at least like with reggie banister and the name michael baldwin they aged in interesting ways. Like, Reggie looks much older, but still vaguely the same in terms of his style and everything. 
And they then, did him a disservice by doing the bad die jobs. I yes. think if they wouldn't have done the die jobs on Reggie, it, it would have been, felt more natural and worked. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, but especially like, by the way, Brian, the first five minutes of two is like immediately after the events of this movie, like taking place at the same time. So oh. you have like <laughs> a dummy guy in frame Michael Baldwin oh. and then Reggie still like, I'm playing the guitar in front of the fireplace just like I was five minutes ago, AKA <laughs> nine years ago. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting that kind of like how it is basically like Phantasm takes place both over several decades, but also over a week at certain points, depending on the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I'd say maybe a month. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because James LaGrosse is also supposed to be like 18. Right. In Phantasm too. Yeah. Horseshit. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but anyway, yeah. So back to the original Phantasm. I think a big thing we need to talk about is just the fact that, like I mentioned, $300,000 budget. This movie was done on shoestrings. But there was such a charm to it that you can't really recreate, especially like, I think Phantasm is so indie, but also it's very much like homemade, homespun by this family kind of thing. They're, like the other actors who were in this were in Kenny and Company, including, we should mention, Adam, you're here. Uh, talk about the scene with the box, because I think that might relate to something you enjoy quite a bit with hands and fear. <laughs> it is 100%. The, the scene from Dune. I mean, yeah. it absolutely is. It, 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 this old, like, mystical woman, you know, put your hand in the box. What's in it? Just put your hand in the box. It hurts. Pain is the mind killer. But like, what? They don't Wait say mind killer. What the fuck? They say, no, like, look. fear is, like, fear is oh, the killer. True. They just, like, they get rid of a word. I think, Brian, you pointed that out. They get rid of one word for copyright purposes. Yep. Exactly. Now, if if fucking Michael to start developing like Quizot's Hotterock powers and you know <laughs> become the Mahdi, I mean, he kinda, this shit would have been wild. But then at the that, same point, kind of happens. Yeah, exactly. Yes, <laughs> it, it does totally. It does it by four. Basically, Brian is like he's in the desert. He's the Muadib. <laughs> he's in the desert, and then he sees the tall man. And it's just like, you need to come to me, boy. And it's like, he's got oh, different he... colored eyes. Right, different colored eyes. Because, oh yeah, at the end of three, he has like chrome, chrome golden, eyes. chrome golden color eyes. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and he's doing like a vision quest type thing in the desert. Yep. And he's literally tra- traversing through time, going backwards and forwards through time. Right. Only his coyote, voiced by Johnny Cash from the Simpsons episode, is the tall man. <laughs> right just as good just as good honestly i was really Uh, i i was really surprised that like it is just straight up from dune um yeah and obviously this is like what five years before the lynch david lynch dune yeah and only like 15 after it was originally published so fairly new in its run yeah but by the time 15 years after that book came out it had already been like getting classic status yes right so it, everybody had fucking read it already. Um, I, I do love I love that scene though because it is so, <clears throat> and it's very early on in the movie. So it it, it I, I didn't know where it was heading, and just the weirdness of that scene, just just the yeah the the trial with the box, and like the the fact that she is dressed like 
I, the I base recently, Jesuits, yeah. yeah, I recently started reading uh, the Book of Dune, and it, it the description is very much mm-hmm. like the, you know, the mm-hmm. like she appears in the movie, and um, yeah, just but the 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 weirdness of that scene when he leaves and they just she the old woman starts like chuckling, <laughs> it's just yeah. it's so. And then the girl just dies, right? Yeah, the girl like yeah. goes to the mausoleum. She goes to like that door with the four like heads above it, and then she just like you hear a scream and it cuts. And, and then that's it. And it's yeah, yeah that's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, I love it. the rhythm of this movie is just so is so unique and so weird. Where yeah, that happens and you're like, oh, that's we're not gonna linger on that. We're not gonna explain like how she died. We're just nope, she she's dead. And that's yes. Like Michael's not bummed out about it. We don't ever see the grandma again. Nothing. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, I mean, we do see the grandma again, technically in Phantasm four oblivion <laughs> where <laughs> she kind of shows up as the tall man's wife. Basically. I think yeah. is the implication. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then she's also like, he sees visions of her when he's driving the hearse. <laughs> yeah. Like she's sitting next to him cackling. <laughs> yep. What the fuck man. <laughs> like, that's the thing, like, all right, so watching this movie, it, I, I agree with you said earlier, Brian, like, there's moments that just hook you, and they hook you in a way, like, this is really fucking cool when I'm watching, like, even these practical effects, like, with the ball and stuff, but I don't think that's why it necessarily hooks me, it more or less hooks me in, in the way of, like, what the fuck am I watching? Yeah. Like, what the fuck is mm-hmm. this? Where is this going to go? What is going to happen here? And I don't think that question... Even across the four movies, and I, you know, I can't speak on the fifth. Like I said, I tried to watch it. It was really late at night, so I shut it off and I never went back to it. But I don't know what the question is ever answered, really, because the explanation changes in ways from movie to movie. Yeah. Like the third one, he's some like alien. They're saying tall man is. I mean, they kind of implied and that with this movie. I would argue that he's like interdimensional. And it's like going from yeah, place to place. They, but the third one, they really like. I mean, I even think in the second or third one, they call him an alien. Like someone's like, he's an alien, blah, blah. and then the fourth one, like, nah, he's just this old Civil War scientist who <laughs> somehow hopped dimensions and came back changed. Well, I and think now he does my this, interpretation like, of that is that he is like the tall man that we sort of see is like. That that guy Jebediah, what's his fucking face from four? Yeah, but he's yeah, possessed yeah. by this alien creature, like his visage has been consumed. I think that's also the case with like <sighs> Kathy so Lester. Stargating us. And so, I mean, you know what? Fair. <laughs> they have the most primitive Stargate possible, which is great. So you're yeah. to low budgetness. <laughs> yeah, just two tuning forks. <laughs> yeah. They're like about at like waist height. <laughs> Yeah, they look like they had velvet ropes. If they had one velvet <laughs> yeah. rope, people would just... You can't come into the d- inner dimension. Yeah. Okay, let's let you two in. Yeah, you on the list. No, but my friend, Mr. Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious, Brian, how did you feel when we got to like that sort of sci-fi territory? Oh, my God. That, that, <laughs> that room is where like I like really was like falling in love with the movie. That 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 scene is so like once we enter that room, I my like my my ears perked up like my eyebrows. I was like, oh, what the fuck is this room? Like this room is giving off some very interesting uh, vibes right now. And Brian vibes, quite frankly, that's the very. thing. Like when I pitched this to you, I told you some things, and I was just like, I think you'll like it because it's the prog rock. 
of horror and all this other stuff I've been mentioning. And and was I accurate? Does that feel accurate for at least like the second half of this movie? Basically, oh you, yeah, just the, the second half is where it's it's, it's shit. Yeah. Oh my god, Thomas. Let me tell you, when they cut to like when he actually goes into the portal and you like see what it looks like. It, leaning back in my chair just fully like oh my god this is so so cool <laughs> I, yeah. I love it, it isn't explained i mean like you guys are talking about the sort of the stuff that they bring in in the sequels and everything but like just based off this movie like nothing is explained i will briefly interrupt and say i do think there is about two lines of explanation during the sequence where like they go through the portal briefly, and there's that great shot of a Michael Baldwin in, like, the red abyss. Hell yes. Where it's, he's just, like, <laughs> floating in this red abyss. And then he comes back up, and he's just like, oh, I think he's shrunk the corpses and made them into these, like, Jawa minions that we're referring to. <laughs> who, you don't see their faces, because that would be too expensive <laughs> for yeah. them to be able to do that. Um, but they do in the sequels, by the way, Brian. And they have varying interesting designs, um, I'll just say. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but I think, yeah, like they, he gives the explanation just like they're shrinking the bodies. That's what these Jawa creatures are. And they're taking back these fucking Breaking Bad tubs that you would, like, dispose of a body in sulfuric acid or whatever. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, one of those drums are just like, oh, they're more souls that we can take back, basically. <laughs> To yeah, our world to like feed us and power us and whatever. Even that, like the way you explain that and everything, it, it is not given that much sort of, you know, we they don't focus on it that much. They give like, no, yeah, it's just a line, and then they fuck off and do weird shit. But that's that is the type of stuff I love so much in like, you know, this type of you know sci-fi, sci-fi horror kind of thing of like, we'll explain it in the vaguest way possible. You can put your own interpretation on it or not. You can just go with it and just kind of like, you know, whatever. And I love it. I, I think it's just so incredible. I, I love I love that room. I love the scene where like all the lights go out and he has the little lighter like. Or it's particularly the scene where like he goes into the dark room and then the tall man opens the door oh by God. blowing it away. <laughs> and he's in, bathed in blue light. And it's just like. Hello, boy. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, it's it's great, and I I love the design of like, I mean they they're basically Jawas, but like, I do love the way they look and the way they move, and I love that shot of the like I mentioned the of the their world, their universe, whatever that is. It's just so insane. By the way, do you get now to call back to an episode from last season to remember Van Helsing? And Dracula's I was, was going to say we're covering a lot of a lot of Jawa minions on this on this podcast. That's, that's, yes, I think that'll be the recurring thing in every season. We'll have Jawa Tuck. This Jawa's side. Thomas's fetishes are coming out. <laughs> Finally, I can express myself. It's it's the hoods. <laughs> it's so odd, and I think that's the thing we're like in a you know a Van Helsing, a movie that costs so much more money relatively to this fucking movie. And it's just, like, they have these Jawas, but there's no, like, creativity to them. They're just, like, these minions of a weird Dracula who's way more interesting yeah. <laughs> as a villain. Um, versus this movie where, like, it's already weird enough we have the tall man and his minions are literally just, like, little people. Just the, the juxtaposition, like, call yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> if we called him the little guy, Angus Scrim, that was his name. <laughs> 
It would be a lot scarier if it was a, a little man, but like the Jawas were tall. But with the like, proportions imagine, like, of, of like yeah. the tall man, but with the proportions of a Jawa. Yeah, I think that would be yes. very scary. But <laughs> so it just looks like the two kids like trying to get into a movie theater wearing a raincoat. Yes. <laughs> I loved I loved Angus Grimm's work on BoJack Horseman all yeah. five seasons of it. I guess. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I think, like, to go back at least to, like, the, the sort of, the lower budgetness of it, I love the fact that when you just look up stuff about this movie, and you see so much of just, like, Coscarelli was inspired by Bray Bradbury's Something Wicked This Way Comes, which makes so much sense. The tall man is basically fucking, like, Jonathan Price in that movie. And it feels like that's why it kind of works, I think, as sort of a gateway horror movie, in terms of, like, it is scary, but it's not gory. It's just weird and nightmarish. And I think, like, when I was 12 and I ended up, like, seeing that clip, it kind of, like, really dug into, like, oh, I'm almost out of, like, my childhood. And look at this, like, 13-year-old kid who has to deal with the tall thing. <laughs> Is this what my teenagehood will be? And I think that's that's what's so fascinating. I think, like, it's, it's very... Would you agree, Adam, that maybe this would work especially for, like, that kind of age range? For, like, 13? Yeah. Yeah, because I, uh, I, I slightly disagree with the gore. I think there is plenty of gore in here. I think just most of it is yellow blood. Yes. Um, but I think if that was crimson colored, this movie would have a whole other reputation. I mean, yeah. you do get the one scene of the blood shooting at the back of the um, the ball, which, by the way, in part two, I don't know if you noticed when they do that again, they heavily edit it. They barely show it happen. Like, they show the ball hit, and then barely anything. It's it's a different time because that's like MPAA, like really fucking with shit. And you could tell, like their their fingers were on the pulse of that. But uh, yeah, I think so. I think this is not necessarily one to get. How do I put this? Not necessarily one to get people into horror or like get kids, you know, younger kids. Like a second like, tier, I would argue. Like you have the introductory. Yeah, and it's like, I think this would be like, hey. Dude, check this movie out. It's called Black Christmas. Yeah. You know, fucking great birth of slasher genre, all that. Now watch this fucking thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you're going to see where a lot of other shit maybe found influence that you're going to see for 30 years on and see like, oh, these people liked Phantasm and these people liked this. A, a these... famous one we should mention, by the way, J.J. Abrams. Is a big was fan. it? He single-handedly paid for the new restoration. Yeah, I was yes, really exactly. confused by the the bad robot <laughs> logo at the beginning, and I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah he is... paid for the 4K." Yeah. yeah, and I mean, and also you can tell from like speaking of Gwendolyn Christie again, uh, Captain Phasma yeah. is like inspired by he saw that chrome design and was like, "Oh, it's like yeah. Phantasm." So that's how and he then got Phasma, it. right? Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. The, the th- I think if you want to show somebody like the the era of horror. That was birthed from the 70s and 80s. I think it would be Black Christmas, this, and maybe Halloween. If not, maybe Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm -hmm. Or if you want to go crazy Italian, go like Suspiria or something like that. But I think this is definitely one of those that would fit for that age range. The fun thing I think about Phantasm is there'd be so many questions and there'd be so much talk after watching it with somebody who has no idea what it is. Yeah. Especially somebody younger. And you have no way to answer them. (laughs) <laughs> kind of like what we're doing now with brian basically yeah it would just be debate and be like what do you think it meant i have no fucking clue but it was weird 
but Brian, so like, what about you in terms of like your horror journey? You've mentioned you're a scaredy cat. If you were shown this at like 13, would you have loved it, or how would you do you think you would have felt? <sighs> yeah, because I, I, man, around around 13, I think I was in my peak of like. I'm scared of everything. Like if I see a horror <laughs> okay. movie trailer on TV, I'm like, but, but yeah, I mean, it, it is weird. Like, you know, Adam, you mentioned like the gore is there, like, you know, the ball and the, the mustard blood, but unlike something like Halloween or, uh, Texas chainsaw massacre is, is like, I think this movie is much more focused on tone Texas Chainsaw and no, Halloween has, yeah. like, they have a tone as well, but it's very different from this. I mean, well, quite frankly, it's just that Halloween is more commercially viable as a film. Exactly, On right. plainest paper possible. Just yeah. babysitter gets stalked by a killer. And then this movie, you have to explain so much more. Yeah, but I get what he's saying. He's saying that the scares in this movie rely on the tone of the film. Right. It's this sort of just general unnervedness and not knowing what the fuck that happens is what propels this movie to be scary. Right. Yeah, yeah, and so like, but I also feel like it, it almost is, you know, because watching this yesterday when I watched it, I it was kind of like, I don't, I have no idea what, like, even to think about that. I was, I was a bit like nervous to to do this today because I was like, I don't know what I'm gonna talk about with this movie because it, <laughs> right? How do you even? Nobody knows what the fuck yeah, we're gonna how say. How do you begin? <laughs> and, and so I'm kind of like, it, it was a bit comforting to hear you guys just be like, I don't fucking know what this thing is either. <laughs> right. And like, you know, but but I almost feel like that could be a bit off-putting for some people, where it's like, you know, Halloween is pretty straightforward and everything, like we mentioned earlier, and like, but I, I think it would be a really interesting movie for someone who is looking for. You know, again, a hor- horror that isn't, like you said, kind of commercially viable. Like, this is not a movie that's, you know, marketable or, re- you know, in in a lot of ways. It's it's very weird. And I, I yeah, I think it would be a really great gateway into kind of weirder horror uh, for a lot of people. I agree. I, I've always stood by, like, as far as, like, horror movies go... Because uh, I love all different version genres of horror. Oh, Adam, are you a fan? I wasn't aware. I uh, time time, uh, but um, I always look at it like this: if I'm trying to recommend somebody a horror movie who's yeah. not necessarily into horror, if I can't sum it up in like two to three sentences what the movie is, I don't recommend it. Typically, gotcha. I just right. don't because it's like I don't think because. There's certain people you'd be like, it's fucking weird. It makes no sense. I think you're going to love it. And you know those type of people would be like, all right, fuck it. Yeah. But if it's someone who's new getting into horror, especially maybe at an older age, I, I just like tend to be like, ah, recommend ones that might be similar and see how they yeah, go yeah, before yeah. I go do something like this. Right. I mean, I'm just more making the, honestly, the Halloween comparison just because it's part of a key sort of evolution in horror. Where like this movie, as I mentioned, costs $300,000 to make made $22 million in 79 money. That's amazing. That is a genuine, like, massive good. return on your That's investment. A hit. And it feels, like, so truly indie. I think also because, like, Phantasm works so well on film. Like, that's the big distinction, where this movie is clearly shot on the cheapest film they could afford, but that adds the surreal quality of, like, especially any night scene. And every penny is there, too, man. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's the one thing. Even, like, the fucking, the chrome balls and the weird way they made that, where it's, like, they had a fastball pitcher throwing it, and then they just reversed the footage for, like, any scene in the hallway, 
We're just supposed to be like it's fucking wild. <laughs> That's so clever. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. And even like what what I will say though, like not to bring back the the Halloween comparison, but like you mentioned that the night sequences and like it's so like isolated at night. You know, probably because they didn't have like a bunch of extras similar to Halloween, and no. it it works in the benefit of the movie where it like it adds to the the creepiness factor of it and yeah it's that sort of thing of like because they don't have a lot of money and it's very scrappy you know a lot of those things work in the favor of the movie where like i mean the nighttime sequences especially the way that they're they're shot and lit are so like like striking and like yeah looks like that kind of yeah cheap film that you would have to get on your own because you know you're not getting it from a studio or anything so and you don't have like a phone and that can shoot the footage for you that's the big thing we're like you can have movies shot on iphone so back at this time you had to rent this equipment you had to buy this film stock you had to go through so much shit to get your movie even watchable let alone like distributed everywhere (laughs) after that point no youtube to upload phantasm 4k full movie (laughs) necessarily (laughs) you can't upload it on twitter (laughs) <laughs> right, streaming on Twitch, whatever. <laughs> High quality, win real slots. <laughs> so, in in terms of this movie, we've we've covered a lot of ground. I'm curious, Brian, um, is there anything we haven't talked about with Phantasm you wanted to shout out? Just like a detail you noticed, or just something really interesting, some weird thing we didn't talk about yet? Oh man, I mean, I, I love the the car chase sequence um, towards yes. the end of the film where they like, uh, no one's driving that thing. Like it's so, it's so great. And it's shot really well. I want to tell you, Brian, each one of them has some kind of car explosion like that. Cool. It's the best part of any of those. <laughs> and man, man, they get way more preposterous too. <laughs> well, the one in four is amazing though. It's so fucking ridiculous. Yeah, it's really, and I mean, it's just, <laughs> like it barely touches anything. It's so fucking great. Yeah, that's great. I-, I love their like plan to sort of trap him because I-, I love the sort of what you guys mentioned, like the the deleted scene where they they hang him. Like that sounds mm-hmm. insane, but like the fact that they are trapping him in a giant like well, basically. Yes. And that's like their plan is so <laughs> crazy to me. <laughs> and yeah, just the whole sort of last half, that last leg of the movie really is so just breakneck and is moving like so quickly. Did this viewing make you interested in seeing the rest of the franchise? Um, Yeah, I, I had planned to. And then I just I didn't because I, I told him if he could to watch the first three. I yeah. Think if you yeah. could. That would have been. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Definitely one and two. I mean, three just because of, of how fun it is. But I think one and two are perfect sort of, this is this movie. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would say, I don't know, I think two kind of went down in my estimation with when I rewatched it recently. Just because it feels a lot more studio heavy. And I think. No, right. But I think that's the yeah. important nature of it yeah. to where you get one where there is no studio involvement. You get two that's got this crazy ass idea. And then you see what a studio thinks and does yes. to it. Right. Where it's like, it's so different to each other. Yeah. There's still enough similarities. And three is very much an army of darkness tones, like kind of horror comedy. Um, and yes. then he trailed back a lot on that with four. Four is, 
it's got to be next to five, the lowest of the budget. It's got to be. Yeah, because I mean, it's 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 directive it's directive video, but also it does look like it's shot on like what? It looks like it's shot on film still, right? Or not? Maybe if not really early digital, right? Like, S- same thing with uh, three. Three is very much like it's yeah. direct to video sort of budget. It's much lower than two was. Yeah, yeah, but three's got a lot more charm to it. Where four feels like a like a weird fever dream that yeah. doesn't necessarily connect ever. And then I want to mention about Ravager because I watched all of Ravager. This is my second time uh... seeing Ravager. I've seen it twice the whole way through, and. I think it is easily the worst of the franchise, man, because David Hartman is the director, not Don Coscarelli. By the way, look at his IMDb, this David Hartman. Um, he <laughs> also directed it. a bunch of Winnie the Pooh animated specials from like the 2000s <laughs> to the 2010s. And also Perfect the, recent, guy for Phantasm. the recent Transformers <laughs> animated series as well. So, yes, Phantasm. Wonderful. Perfect. Right. Um, but tracks. it's so weird. It's just basically like, it is the compromised version of what Roger Avery kind of pitched, which that's an interesting detail is that Roger Avery right out of winning the Oscar for Pulp Fiction was like Don Coscarelli. I want to do the ultimate budget finale fantastic movie. But think about that. Even just saying what you said, there are some huge fans of this, right? Yeah. Huge, huge, big star fans. And I think, I mean, that's fucking crazy. You don't get that a lot. I mean, you get that with, you know, Night of the Living Dead, I would say it would be one of them. Maybe the first Evil Dead and Texas Chainsaw. But other than that, I mean, those are like the ones a lot of people really kind of reference, like, oh, blew my mind. But Phantasm to be in that echelon, it's fucking crazy. Yeah. Um, but then Five is definitely like, it's basically like mm. the most depressing family reunion you've ever seen. It looks like a fan film. Yes. I think, and it's shot digitally, which is a big problem versus the film we were talking about earlier. And I think, what was it, like, the Reggie stuff in the desert was, like, originally for a web series, right? I've heard that's the thing. I think it was originally, that's how it was constructed. Yes. Into a web series, and then once, ultimately, what happened with Scrim, I feel like they quickly rushed and forged it all together and put it out. Yeah. As a feature. It's just, like, all that's going on where, like, basically the post-apocalypse is going to happen, finally. And we see it unveiled in horrible CG for this very low-budget film. Uh, <laughs> it's really atrocious. But then the sort of real-world story is Reggie thinks he's in, like, a old folks' home. And a Michael Baldwin's like, hey, I'm your emergency contact. You have dementia. Kind of a cool idea. Right. I think that's the most interesting stuff in the movie is any of those scenes where it just feels like, oh, man, this is, like, what this actually ended up being. And this is a bummer and it's sad. And then the moment they go to any of the post-apocalyptic stuff, it sucks. It's so bad. It feels low budget, but in a sort of asylum-y way. Yeah, the size scraper size sphere. Right. It's so dumb looking. I mean, cool idea, <laughs> but it just looks yeah. so dumb. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, Brian, based on all the tidbits we've told you about the sequels, if you were going to dive into them, how deep would you go? <laughs> oh, man. I, I mean, I would do definitely the first four and then I would have real, real trepidations about the fifth one. But I, I almost feel like I would have to watch it just out of like a completionist like sake, just to like yeah. watch all of them. Um, which I'm certainly, I'm certainly inter- interested in, and I, I'll, I'll, I'll probably be doing that soon. But for spooky season, I mean, yes. Right Don't they even bring Rocky back in Ravager? Oh, good lord! Yeah, that's. 
This is my biggest grievance with the entire <laughs> yeah, franchise. Yeah, I it. I yep, it. I know. I I I hate it the first time I saw. I hate it now. <laughs> Spoilers, everybody, for Ravager. They have a mid-credit scene, Brian, where they bring back Rocky because she wasn't in four. She was great in three. Rocky's the girl with the nunchucks from yes. Part three. Yes. Okay. Of course. Yes. And uh, she comes back in a post-credit scene or mid-credit scene where there's this like little person dude who's part of like the post-apocalypse team. And his arm's been blown off. And then he, like, is like, hey, can I get a ride? Like, can you give me a piggyback ride? And then he, like, cops a feel on her. <sighs> and that's how he brought back this great fucking female character who ruled so hard in 3 and didn't take sexual harassment from Reggie, which is a great scene in that movie. <laughs> that, no, it's great. And it happens twice, actually. Because yes. uh, he's very persistent. Yeah. But, yeah, I, yeah. Oh, God. Ugh. Fuck that shit. That's like the last <laughs> scene of Phantasm, goddamn. <laughs> so yeah, enjoy the series, Brian. I hope you love Thank it. Thank you. Yes, get to that, <laughs> that that part really. That, I'll be honest. That might make me go back on watching the fifth one, but we'll see. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, well, Adam, what about you? Is there anything we haven't mentioned yet about Phantasm you want to shout out? You know, the thing is, as we were talking about earlier, and I, I, th- I kind of just want to dive back into it real quickly again, it's just how fucking good Angus Scrim is in these movies. Um, even when he's playing the sort of Civil War, like bumbling, ooh, I have some lemonade. And you know, like, he's putting his all into it. Like, even when at the end of his, you know, life, when his health was really poor in four and especially five, he was still giving it his fucking all. Like, even when he had aged so noticeably between one to two, two to three, three to four, he was still imposing. He was still scary. He still had that voice and the cadence. Deserves a spot with some of the best of the sort of horror villains and horror icons. I don't think he'll ever get that. Uh, I think he has it with horror fans, but as far as like mainstream audiences, I don't think you're ever going to see a version of the dogs painting, dogs playing poker seen with horror icons and fucking the tall man's one of them. No, right, right. The, the dumb thing you I have like on a shirt now that has like yeah, you, right, yeah, you get it every year. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> you know, I have something in this house. We have parties, love Fridays, love family, dream big, and do puzzles. And it's like Pennywise, <laughs> Jason, Michael Myers, Freddie, and Pinhead. You're not gonna see fucking the tall man on there. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. Uh, he should be right along there with you know the best of them. This would not work day phantasm i don't think a remake would work the only way phantasm i would think would work is in like a series i could see that i'm not saying a full series like where you do seasons but i'm saying like a mini series like how they redid the stand as a mini series which didn't work but when i'm saying you do those three to six part things and then that's it yeah i could see that i mean but at the same time i don't I don't want any more series based on movies like that. I don't. No, want I don't want any. I I don't want any more Phantasm. <laughs> Truly, I don't. Yes. I love Phantasm as it is. I don't need any more. No, I I would concur with that. But I mean, I'll just say one other thing we haven't talked about yet. Just a specific thing we mentioned the scene where he's like walking down, but the second half of that scene where he's in front of Reggie's ice cream, and the fucking ice is just like breaking down. Like oh, he's putting stuff in or whatever, and the tall man is just like sniffing it. And just going yeah. wild because he has the whole, like, aversion to cold. He's like, ugh, I can't handle it. Just there. It's like our only hint to his weakness, which will later become a major thing in the sequels, especially. 
Yeah, which that's the only hint in the whole movie. They don't ever use it against him in the first one. No, except there was footage cut. That I did see some clips of like him using the fire extinguisher. Yeah, I saw that like, too. Yeah, yes. yeah, 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 yeah. But then it's like in the third movie, I think. Yeah, the third movie, like he hates cold, <laughs> and they have like a whole cryogenesis like yep. chamber and all. They're like what the fuck? And is he goes going into on? a. He's like harpooned into a meat locker, basically. <laughs> yeah, Rocky fucking spears his ass. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rocky, my favorite Rocky's character. Rocky's shit. <laughs> yeah, I need more so Rocky. Yes. He's a badass motherfucker, man. That flat top. What we've oh. had so many of them and Creed's already happened, so you know. We yeah, hey. A lot of Rocky. Brian, you know who Grace Jones is? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, think Grace Jones, but less sort of crazy and with nunchucks. Sounds, and you got Rocky. Sounds so With cool. a similar confidence and attitude. <laughs> That's, I think, the big thing. Similar confidence, same haircut, everything. Hell yeah. Yes. But, but yeah, so I guess uh, we'll wrap things up on Phantasm uh, here. And I guess just final thoughts, Adam, on this landmark film, this landmark indie horror film, Phantasm. As a complete package, there's nothing like Phantasm, or even its, its sort of franchise as a whole. Uh, love it or hate some of the entries or choices they make, it's still its own fucking entity. It all belongs in itself it's fucking crazy uh it's something that if you even as a listener listen to us talking tonight and we're able to glean a, a plot out of it uh <laughs> you're fucking smarter than i ever will be um i it's fucking crazy it's chaos it's nightmare fever dream fuel um through and through and i think that's sort of why it has staying power especially with sort of I, and I hate to say this, I don't want to be pretentious, but people who might be more um, film-minded or love film or appreciative of sort of weird narrative, uh, because this movie, for all intents and purposes, should not work in any way, shape, or form. And yet, there's so much care and love given to the sort of creation of this movie that through that, I'd say that's the glue that made it bind and made it work uh there is no sort of direct plot you can follow and yet somehow you're hooked through the whole thing and you want to know where it's going you never get that answer and it's one of the few times i've ever watched a movie where you know there's sort of no resolve that i don't really care uh i i, I love it for that and uh yeah phantasm is just unlike anything else really very true very true brian your final thoughts on Phantasm with your first time. Yeah, I really enjoyed this movie a lot. Like I've, like I've been saying, I, I love this, the vibe that this movie has. And just the, its rhythm is so weird and so unlike, like you said, Adam, like unlike anything else. And, you know, I, I think I think influential in some ways. I mean, like uh, someone I thought of while I was like watching this was like a... Uh, a director like um, Panos Cosmatos, like the guy who made uh, yes. Mandy, of course. Like I think very much influenced by this movie mm. and sort of the the music of it, the you know everything about it. Um, and I just think it's so weird. It's just so much weirder than I was expecting for a horror film from this time. It, it just makes so many weird choices. I love a lot of the production design and just the way that it is it's not interested in answering any of your questions 
and you know much as the sequels might go into that of course but yeah it it is just a movie showing you some weird wacky crazy shit and it 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 comes together and and it works it's a it's a, a very unique type of horror movie but yeah, so Phantasm, my final thoughts, honestly, I think I agree with what everyone said here. It's so unique. It's so odd. There's so much crazy shit we haven't even talked about in this movie in detail as we're getting here to the final thoughts. But stuff like uh, when you see the uh, images of the tall man from a different past time and it's like starts moving or Jody's sex scene almost with the Lady in Lavender, which happens yeah. in the middle of the cemetery. And it's this weird moment where the movie becomes a sex comedy all of a sudden. Definitely would not have, like, a mainstream appeal, but at the same time, it's, like, a great sort of B-tier franchise of horror. I would argue pretty more consistent than a lot of other franchises in terms of, even with 5, which I would say is bad, but is, like, interesting in terms of just, like, what it is meta-contextually. It's just, like, the last time we're probably going to see all these people together, literally, because Scrim's gone. And, and does that, in all honesty, I don't mean to step on your fun things, yeah. but that does that make it maybe a little bit easier to watch that you know this is the last one? Yeah, I would agree with that. Because uh, nothing else, Brian, I would recommend you see it just for, like, it's Angus Grimm's last time being the tall man. Right. Which you could also watch some of the other things, which we never mentioned this, but there's a bunch of different places where he reprised the role of the tall man, like for Adult Swim bumpers at one point for a Halloween marathon. <laughs> um, and then, like, in commercials for, like, Fangoria magazine. That's a great one. Right. That I just saw on YouTube. Which <laughs> is like, boy, you should subscribe to Fangoria. <laughs> it's so good. Um, but I just think, like, it is such definitely a cult-appreciated franchise. Like, I've only seen... Of my various times going to Dragon Con, I saw one person dress as the tall man. And it was maybe my favorite fucking one of, like, that particular Dragon Con. Because it's such a specific nerdy thing that is so great to see just walking around in our existence. The tall man is here. It's, I just, I, I love that kind of, like, weird, surreal DIY spirit that kind of fits with, like, the cosplaying angle of it. It's not that different from, like, especially, I love hearing that they had one suit for this movie versus three for two <laughs> that's the budget upgrades we have two copies of it that like like you said like there's not a lot of people who know this movie necessarily who are more kind of the general public you know but i do feel like there are a lot of people who have maybe seen the tall man like you said in various other places or just have seen the image but just have never really like checked out where like the original like i almost kind of like and this is another another franchise that i have zero history with and i know you have a lot of history with is like the hellraiser franchise where like oh, i boy. know the i know i know i, not, I don't want to open that <laughs> the lament configuration <laughs> but 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 almost kind of like that where like people know the image of like you know the pinhead right that's the name of the <laughs> oh, you mother- <laughs> look lead <laughs> cenobite i believe is his proper name okay 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 oh, hell priest <laughs> hell priest or that too but I feel like a lot of people, yeah, know like the image of that, but have never seen the original source of that, which I think is is very interesting. Or I mean, if you have, you've seen the original one and probably two, but that's it. Sure, right? <laughs> yeah, that's fair, and that's completely fair. <laughs> I, I'm a I'm a Hellraiser uh, God, purist and fanatic for the worst reasons. I mean, they're just <laughs> they're not good movies, um, but. Yeah, I can understand. Like, people like seeing one, all right, where is this going to go? Two? Oh, hey, okay. And then three, oh, what the? The CD Cenobite and shit like that. 
Uh, the camera head. Right if we were close up. <laughs> God. Yeah. Well, on that note of Pinhead, uh, that's our discussion on Phantasm, <laughs> everybody. Uh, but now we're going to head into our, our segment with including, I should mention, uh, we had mentioned this last time because I got this music in between these two episodes, but a new track from Burial Grid for Between the Lines. And here it is. So between the lines is our segment where, you know, Brian, myself, and maybe a guest, maybe Adam has a recommendation that's kind of related to either phantasm or indie horror uh, that we're going to talk about here. So I'm going to start off, and uh, my recommendation is another film from Don Coscarelli, uh, his 2002 film that we referenced earlier, uh, Bubba Hotep, which, if you're unaware, um, is a movie that stars Bruce Campbell, Ash himself from the Evil Dead movies, as an old retiree Elvis who believes he is Elvis and believes that at a certain point in his life, an uh, impersonator came over and was just like, hey, I'll trade places with you so you can live a quiet, secluded life out there. <laughs> and that guy died. And so everyone thinks this guy isn't the real Elvis. Um, and while he's living in this retirement home, he meets up with this guy who thinks he's JFK, played by Academy Award nominee, I believe, and uh, civil rights activist Ossie Davis, <laughs> who thinks he's JFK and it's like, oh, they made me look like a black man. That's his whole thing. And they have to face off against a mummy who is sucking souls via the assholes of these old people and killing them that way. <laughs> and it's based on a Joe R. Lansdale story. And I would say, you know, I really think Phantasm is great. I think it's an awesome movie as we've been talking about. But Bubba Hotep's my favorite. I think it's because it combines a lot of like the sort of sillier side of like the sequels to Phantasm with genuine pathos. Like it's a genuinely great performance from Campbell and then the movie around him is so fun and weird and bizarre, but also it kind of pulls at your heartstrings at a certain point. I think it's my favorite non Ash performance from Bruce Campbell. It feels like a genuinely great performance in the middle of this fun horror comedy B movie from the guy who made Phantasm. It's his most straightforward, like we kind of mentioned earlier, but it's so silly. It is such like a silly, dumb story that at the same time you feel kind of emotional by the end of it. I don't know. I mean, I know you haven't seen it, Brian, because um, this is you've only seen Phantasm. But how does that sound to you? <laughs> <That's> a- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you, you had you had talked about we had talked about this a little bit uh, recently because you had described what the movie was, and I was just it just sounds insane and like. <laughs> it just lines up with what you guys were talking about earlier with, with, with Coscarelli of like the guy was a, in, was insane. Like just had so many insane ideas. And <laughs> I I had seen like the picture of like the, the photo of him as Elvis. Yeah. But I, yeah, I just never knew what that movie was at. Yeah. It sounds insane. I, I kind of really want to see it because I love Bruce Campbell as you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, nudge. But, uh, <laughs> 
yeah, it sounds fucking weird. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, Ben, we've seen this movie. Yeah, man, of course. You also left out the monologue about the nurse applying cream to the tumor end of his penis. And that, <laughs> right. <laughs> Elvis. And also that the mummy is dressed like a fuckboy cowboy. Yep, he is. <laughs> He's got like true. the flaming cowboy shirt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, why is the mummy dressed as this fuckboy cowboy? What is happening? Yeah, no, yeah, Bubba Hotep's the shit, dude. It's fucking, it's bizarre. Like you said, it's funny. But yeah, at the end, you're generally like, oh, man. <laughs> like, yeah, it hits you in the feels, too. I think it's his, um, because John dies at the end is a mess. Love it or hate it, it's a mess. Um, I like that movie. I think Bubba Hotep, it's, it's kind of a mess, though. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I think Bubba Hotep is, as far as, like, Coscarelli stuff, his most completely done film. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, because also we should shout out, speaking of Bubba Hotep and John Dies at the End, um, Brian, they were trying to make a sequel for a long time, which would have been actually a prequel that would have been about slightly younger Elvis, still played by Campbell, but then also his Colonel Parker's would have been played by Paul Giamatti, because he genuinely loved oh God, and loved <laughs> Bubba Hotep. Bubba Nosferatu. Bubba Nosferatu, yes. And they would have involved like a, them, like what, filming, I think, one of the Elvis movies? Yeah, and there was a Dracula. Yeah, with yeah. Oh my god! Because so they were great. filming there's something like they were filming in Mexico or something instead of LA because of like a tax write-offs, <laughs> right. and they ran across a coven of Mexican vampire women. <laughs> oh my god! Are you do, that... do you feel cheated that that does never happen, Brian? Yes, <laughs> I'm. I'm hooked on just Giamatti as Colonel Parker. Like that's just yeah. immediately so great. What a choice. If you loved Elvis, Baz Luhrmann's Elvis, um, I think this is also a, a great Elvis movie. I'm kind of imagining Giamatti as Colonel Parker in Baz Luhrmann's Elvis. Oh, he's what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Brian, what's your recommendation for Between the Yes, Lines? my recommendation is a movie we've talked about. We've mentioned it. It is The Evil Dead from 1981. Sam Raimi, I recently I watched uh, the new Evil Dead, Evil Dead Rise, and that has uh, kind of gotten me in the mood to rewatch the original movies. I have I haven't seen them since like since high school, so it's been quite a while. And uh, watching the first one again, I was really struck by how good it is. Like I, you know, I when I first watched it, I, I kind of watched it through the lens of like most people kind of view Evil Dead 2 as being the the masterpiece. And Evil Dead 1 is, like, pretty good, but, you know, not as good as, as Part 2. But I love the first Evil Dead movie, and it's so... It's so, again, kind of like Phantasm, is so weird and so unsettling and also has a that a weird rhythm to it where it is so just nonstop and, like, keeps going over. And, like, it just... It's also just so much creepier than I remember because, you know, I, I think I, I remember a lot the kind of fun nature of Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness and, like, the first Evil Dead is so genuinely, like, horrifying and unsettling. Is there one specific scene that might be <laughs> the main reason <laughs> I mean, why that's the case? It, it is It is that scene. Um, yeah. What is, what is I'm, I'm very curious, that scene, are we talking pencil to the ankle? 
No, I, no. I was referring to the, the tree scene. Yeah. Oh, uh, I'm God, I'm jaded. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> but but no, that I, that that scene you mentioned with the the pencil and the ankle is actually like just that whole sequence when like all hell is breaking loose in the actual cabin is so like just like tense for me. Like I was just like, oh my god, this is like just so terrifying and so like unsettling, and it's yeah, one of those movies where like it was all there. Like Raimi just kind of knew exactly. He, he had every, all the, all the abilities to make just a great horror movie. And it just, yeah, I, I love this movie. I am. Um, it, it's a great movie. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you guys love it as well though. It's, it's weird. It, I'm from the Detroit suburbs mm-hmm. and uh, it was sort of ingrained to us growing up like, oh, Evil Dead, you're going to love Evil Dead because, you know, Sam Raimi and he's from here, Bruce Campbell, all that stuff. So it's like, okay, all right, cool. And then when I finally saw it, I got to be honest, when I very first saw Evil Dead, uh, I was like, okay, this is kind of corny. I don't know like right. what the big thing about it is. And I saw Evil mm-hmm. Dead too and I'm like, oh, I immediately get it. Like, this is great. But I've also gone back and rewatched them again. And for the budget that it was, for the originality of it, for what he was able to achieve, Evil Dead is nothing short of a masterpiece, the original. Yeah. It, it's fucking wild that, it, you know, I just take it as it was so good and so scary and so just fucked up. The only logical route to go with that franchise is comedy. Because how yeah. can you get more extreme? How can you get more just sort of unnerving and spooky and scary without it becoming where people are laughing at how unnerved they are and everything? So you might as well just lean into it and make people laugh at the core and make it as gory as it possibly can to make people laugh. Yeah. I mean, I think The Evil Dead, I love that franchise. Um, I would say it is my third favorite of the original trilogy. But I still think it's really great for, like we mentioned, what it is, which is... A movie, by the way, that cost only $75,000 more than Phantasm. Um, But that one feels way more like barely making it. Phantasm looks a bit more professional. And then this movie is just like, these kids are out there in the middle of the woods. (laughs) And they're just doing the weirdest shit with these cameras with like the board and shit. Yeah. And there's one set. It's this fucking cabin. And they're doing whatever the fuck God knows what in the woods of Michigan. And they've talked about that. Like, everybody involved with that production has talked about how, like, it was such, like, a grueling, awful experience. Um, and then all the Evil Dead movies have had interesting experiences in terms of how they got made, what they kind of represent for the franchise. And the Evil Dead is definitely at least just, like, you know, the first in the evolution to comedy, but with horror stuff in Evil Dead 2. And then much more like a fantasy comedy with a couple horror set pieces <laughs> by Army of Darkness. Um, and then the show and all these other things. It's it's a, where all that stuff started. And it's definitely such a fascinating case of something else. Filmmaking ingenuity for like just Sam Raimi to be able to do any of these things <laughs> at such a young age. Just like the last thing I'll say is that like, you know, because this is the indie episode, I think like it is sort of it's the example when people have like the you know you go out and you make a horror movie with your friends out in the woods and it's it is like the prime example of that and you know there's a reason for yeah it. yeah yeah for good reason yeah. i agree absolutely yes. yes uh but now adam 
What is your yeah, pick buddy. for between the lines, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So mine is uh, not only independent, it's also foreign. Yes. And it also is one we've watched together. Me and, yes, Thomas and Adam have watched this together, yes. Thomas and Adam on a movie night. And I picked it because, as I said earlier, Phantasm definitely reminds me of like an American version of Italian sort of insane horror. Uh, I picked uh, by one of the masters, Fulci, City of the Living Dead. Um. Now, again, much like Phantasm, it's kind of hard to paraphrase, like sort of put <laughs> summarize into a yeah. box what this yes. movie. Yeah, basic scheme is a priest kills himself, hangs himself in a cemetery, uh, and because of it, the dead start coming back to life, but they can also teleport somehow. <laughs> and also, if you look into the priest's eyes, he makes you go crazy to the point where there is one very prolonged. Uh, practical effects scene, which is one of the greatest and most disgusting I've ever seen. Whereas a woman looks in the priest's eyes, she starts weeping blood and then vomits up her entire intestinal tract. Yep. Um, on screen. And it's so fucking gross and the noise and everything. But it's also got that great synth score. Um, it's gory. It's violent. It makes zero sense. And it just, the whole time I was watching Phantasm, like I said, I thought of this movie. I thought of burial ground i thought of a lot of argento like it's just this weird cerebral horror that it's more the i what they're showing you on a screen and the noises and the mood of it that's the scary stuff other than like jump scares and uh yeah save the dead for sure yeah i have seen this movie like you mentioned and i think the big thing is just like we talked about Italian horror last week with, you know, Black Sabbath. And that movie definitely has, like, a weird vibe to it, but it's not the goriness of, like, by... That's 1980, right? You see The Living Dead? Yeah, well, it's then, or 80. Well, because then, was The Beyond is, like, 81, which is, like... This is part of the Gates yeah. of Hell trilogy, I believe, right? That's what it's called? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's, like, that movie and then The Beyond, which is another great... Like, just weird fucking movie. I think that movie's a lot of fun. The Beyond's great. Yeah, and then um, the third one is House by the Cemetery, right? And that one, I think, is yeah. not that memorable and kind of <laughs> not good. Cool shit in it, but not nearly to the level of the other two. No, for sure. Um, do you have any idea what this movie is, Brian? <laughs> no, I mean, uh, the, the title <laughs> rules, and I've, yeah. I've seen the poster, and all of what Adam has just described sounds right up my alley. So <laughs> I'd be curious to, for you to watch all three of those. I think you would have interesting reactions to them. <laughs> to say the <laughs> um, but yeah, let's go ahead and repeat our titles as we like to do after we do between the lines. So you can add it to your watch list or whatever. Um, my pick uh, was the other Don Coscarelli film from 2002, Bubba Hotep. Uh, yep. Yeah, mine was the 1981 classic film. Uh, from Sam Raimi, The Evil Dead. And I had City of the Living Dead by Mr. Lucio Fulci. You know, we're going to be wrapping up the show here, so we want to do our thanks, including to, uh, you know, Burial Grid, who I mentioned earlier, does the music for our show, including the new Between the Lines music, which trivia was a piece that he just, like, had composed for another podcast, and they never made it. So I was just like, can I have that, please? And he said, sure. So thanks, <laughs> man. Really appreciate it. <laughs> Um, but then uh, we also should shout Michelle Kyle, who does our artwork. Uh, find her at MishKyle96 on Twitter. 
Um, and then uh, you thanks also to our supporters on Patreon, patreon.com slash cinema number two letter, uh, which, you know, we like putting out bonus content on there. And, uh, you know, at this time, Brian, we would have put out um, our full franchise on the Toy Story movies, uh, which we haven't recorded yet, but we're excited to since that officially won the poll. Also, uh, you know, Haunting in Venice, we would have released that. We just saw that, Brian, behind the scenes. Yep. Right before this recording, and we're going to talk about posts on the uh, Patreon. It'll be there. And then also, I think around this time, it'll be right before um, The Exorcist Believer comes out. So we're going to be doing that one, as well as we would have done The Creator prior to that. Um, But yeah, so coming up soon, though, is Exorcist Believer, which we haven't seen yet. And also, Brian still has only seen the original we haven't done our exorcist 3 episode yet <laughs> so it'll be very interesting it's to gotta be terrible <laughs> i mean it's gotta be awful yeah i mean i don't but how do you feel about that trailer ryan Have, uh, seen <laughs> i mean the the trailer's not great but mm. like i'm a really big fan of david gordon green I-, I love him i think he's got such a fascinating career from his like early like indie dramas to fucking pineapple express and like you know that shit and then he's now he's done like halloween i love his shows with uh with danny mcbride like yeah i don't know i'm kind of like i'm I'm, I'm hoping you know and i think you and i are be are are defenders of a of halloween ends fuck yeah we are adam isn't (laughs) you really mean look i get it (laughs) i get it but um no i've grown i've grown more positive on it i i think halloween ends is still better than halloween kills yeah um but still eh, you know you know what it is i don't give a shit anymore like it's it's fine it exists yeah it's fine if people right. like it people hate it who gives a fuck Plus, I don't know, Exorcist, we'll talk about this later in the season, but just... No, Exorcist's gonna fucking suck. Well, no, no but I mean, just the franchise, that as, a, that as a franchise is so fucking weird. The it's way like two it, good movies. Yeah, two great movies, and then two, but very weird bad movies. I think all of the bad movies are interesting for what they are. One movie was so bad that they reshot it and yep. released another bad version. They did. <laughs> like, that's <laughs> fucking crazy. Paul Schrader's versus Rennie Harlan? Yeah. Right? Yeah, should fight. Yes. Rennie Harlan, because he does good stuff. Right. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, so sign up for our Patreon for just the $1. You get all this bonus stuff I was mentioning earlier. Um, and uh, we appreciate all of you that currently donate. And we also wanted to send our appreciation to our guest, Adam. Adam, thank you so much for coming on. A pleasure for you to return to the mic. Do you have anything to plug at all? I don't know, because you've basically been off the grid. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay that way. Okay. No, man, I'm just uh, plugging along, cashing checks, snapping necks. Hey, oh, uh, no, I, yeah, I got nothing, man. I might pop up here on a podcast here and there. Uh, and that's about it. Uh, other than that, nope, got nothing. I, I'm not. I don't even have a Facebook anymore. Yeah. I have a Twitter that I haven't accessed in months. Actually, oh, sorry, yes, next. Um, there's an X, uh, and then I have an Instagram that I occasionally post on, but internet, no, I got nothing. Yeah, well, thank you for clearing your schedule on nothing and coming up. You know, it's your fault. I have nothing. <laughs> That's true. I left him poor and destitute <laughs> after the series finale. Uh, well, on that note, um, if you like all of this, uh, you know, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, X. 
and Facebook um, under uh, you know Cinema Number Two Letter. We're also on Blue Sky now. I used one of my invite codes. If any of you are on that, um, remember when that was supposed to be new Twitter and then it's not quite. <laughs> Isn't there like an animation thing? Uh, well, yes, Blue R.I.P. Blue Sky Studios uh, of the Ice Age franchise. That's true, um, but <laughs> it's also over? a social media site now that that's defunct. Oh, <laughs> oh great! That's yeah, awesome. <laughs> I have an invite code if you're interested. Adam. It's a great time to be on the internet. I'm also on Angel Fire. Let me throw that up. <laughs> Dial-up sounds. You gotta get past yeah. those. <laughs> Good lord. Um, William, you know, uh, if you like any of that, specifically for me, I'm on Twitter, X, and Letterboxd, at NotTheWhoStommy. I also do some writing at uh, MarianiThomas.wordpress.com and over at Film-Cred.com. Yes, uh, you can follow me on Twitter, I'm still I'm on there sometimes, every once in a while. Uh, at my, uh, I believe that's X. Uh, school. No, Boston. I. Elon can. I, no, I won't say anything's on mic. Um, but my. <laughs> right, not, not unless it's on the Patreon. Another reason to subscribe. No, they're all they're all let loose on Elon. I got so many opinions on that. Fuck. So um, why is there a Black Hawk helicopter landing in the yard? <laughs> Uh, yes, but you can follow me on that dreaded website at my name, B-R-Y-A-N, followed by D-R-A-D-E, number three. Or you can follow me on Letterboxd and see what movies I'm watching, see my lists and all that. And uh, for more of all this stuff on audio, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or other podcasting platforms. If you're listening on Talk Film Society, you might listen to all the other great shows on the network. And you can also dig into the archives on the Podbean feed for, you know, the first season, as well as uh, the old double-edged double bill stuff with Adam. So much five years worth of content that's still up on, online. Fine. Why? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we should mention before we get out of here, our next episode is our end for new, which our patrons voted on. Thank you, patrons. Oh, we should oh mention God. you also get to vote in polls and stuff. And you guys end up picking for us Skin and from earlier this year. Now, Adam, you've told me you have not seen this movie. Is that still true? No, I've watched it oh, since okay. then. Okay. Uh, it's, I, you know, it's one of those movies to where if you are not in the right setting, it is not going to work. You have to be absolutely in a, as dark of a room as you can with no distractions and no outside noise if you can help it and just watch it. If you got that shitty LED strip on the back of your screen, turn it off. <laughs> like, just watch it. And so is that a positive or negative review? <laughs> no, I fucking hated it. <laughs> no, I didn't hate it. I just, it was fine. It's fine. Um but even then, though, and I did all of the things to get in that mindset, I was still like, yeah, all right. Yeah. It's all right. Yeah. It's all right. It's all right. right. <laughs> uh, well, Brian, are you excited to talk about Skin and Marink, another movie you haven't seen yet? Yeah, it's a movie I haven't seen. Um, I've heard a lot about it. I've seen a lot of screenshots, and, uh, you know, I in the Patreon poll, it was between this and The Invisible Man, but... The patrons picked picked Skinamarink, and uh, you got the better choice. You got the better choice. There's more to talk about, I think, with Skinamarink than uh, Invisible Man. 
Huh. Interesting. I yeah, I love I I like that movie quite a bit. I do as well, but I Invisible was... Man? Oh me too, but I don't I think there's Invisible Man feels like such a polish, like they knew exactly what they were going for a horror movie where skinning rink is something different and new. Hmm. Well true, right. very true. In a way. Mm-hmm. If it's kind of you know, we're continuing the surreal horror. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, then that will do it. And uh, yeah. yeah, from everything I've heard, it, it uh, you know, it should be interesting. And I'll be sending my therapy bills to each of the patrons. Patrons, uh. <laughs> <laughs> right? They pay one dollar. Yep, I'm sure that bill that'll totally cover it. <laughs> what we have for Patreon. Uh, well, on that note, everybody, uh, we'll say good night, and uh, we'll especially send it out to all of you boys. <laughs> listening. 